Hello there, friends. This is episode 85 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff. I'm a pastor and an author and your host. And today I have a really great conversation with Andrea Irwin, who is the online minister for Highlands United Church in North Vancouver. I wanted to have Andrea come on the show actually for a while. We just kind of had a conversation a couple of months ago, and it sounded really interesting, the work that she was doing, uh, primarily trying to find ways to connect with people online and uh, serve people in that way. Um, there, she's connected to a, an existing congregation as well that's basically doing this online component um, in some really uh, interesting and creative ways. But then we found ourselves in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and people having to stay home and churches not able to have uh, in-person gatherings. And so it just became... Uh, kind of a different conversation with her that uh, that I think everyone, a lot more people are really interested in. What does this all mean? And uh, will we continue to uh, gather online in some form? And what I really wanted to talk with her about was not so much kind of the techniques and technology. I She's, I think, fielding lots of questions about that. And there's lots of resources about that. But I wanted to talk about the spirituality of... Uh, living out faith uh, in this online world and uh, and what that might mean, what she's learned over the last number of months and years about this and uh, and how do we actually live out uh, corporate worship, um, community and spiritual practices in uh, in an online setting. And so she has some really interesting uh, things to say about that. And uh, particularly uh, since this was recorded uh, in the middle of this staying home time, uh, hopefully if you're listening to this in that time, this will be helpful for you. But also even after things have reopened, if you're listening to this later, uh, it might still be helpful for you in just thinking through uh, what uh, the, the thinking through these issues around living out our Christian faith uh, in the online medium or in the online space. Uh, so here we go. Here's this interview that I did with Andrea Irwin. I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today, Andrea. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Matt. Yeah, we actually met for about 10 minutes in person back in February. And, uh, and that was kind of nice to to meet really briefly. And we actually talked about you coming on as a guest. And this was before anyone kind of knew what was going to happen with COVID-19. And suddenly, everyone is now interested in online ministry and online worship and how like, what are we doing and how like people have tried to move their services online and all that kind of stuff. And so now you are like this expert that, uh, that people are probably coming to saying, how, how do you do this? Um, but I would love to just maybe hear, maybe or maybe just tell the audience as well, a little bit about what you actually do with uh, Highlands United Church, um, what it means to be an online minister, and how long you've been doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't call me an expert, please. Let's start there. 
this is all trial and error. We're all in this together right now. Um, so yes, I do I work as an online minister for Highlands United Church. I'm also the minister for a new church plant project of the United Church of Canada that really focuses on getting all of these resources for online ministry together in one place. I don't know what your experience has been during the past sort of six weeks of COVID, but it sort of feels like everything is everywhere and finding one resource is really, really challenging. So this was something that we were dreaming up before all of this happened and have sort of been propelled into it, much like everyone has been launched into their online ministries uh, really quickly over the past few weeks. Mm -hmm. So I've been working uh, technically for about a year in this position of online minister, but I've been doing the research with this particular community for about four years now. Mm -hmm. I started this work when I began my MDiv, and I have a background in corporate communications, and so the intersection between God and technology was just a really natural fit for me. I'm a digital native. I'm a thoroughbred millennial. I love the internet. I love technology. I think that these tools can be really, really powerful ways for us to connect with one another and for also for us to get to know ourselves a little bit. And so to be able to combine that with a faith practice was really, really interesting to me. So we started doing this work with this community and I realized that there were a few people in this community that were only gathering online. These were people who had never come to our church in person. Mm. We were broadcasting half-heartedly. It wasn't a great live stream. We weren't putting a lot of thought into it, but there were people that were really dedicated to showing up that way. And so I started to ask the question, what would it look like for this to become a really intentional worship experience for them and to sort of break down the wall that split the congregation between who was in person and who was online? Right. And now a whole bunch of churches have, have had, like you had that time of research for years to kind of think about oh, how to best do this. And now churches are just being thrown into this or have been thrown into this. I know in my own congregation, again, we were sort of, sometimes we'd set up a tripod at the front of the church with a phone and, uh, and live stream just the sermon to Facebook. And uh, depending on whether there were uh, going to be uh, uh, babies near the phone was kind of the dictating like whether we're doing it or not. Um, and uh, so, uh, so, or if the person who was normally going to be the one who would do that was there that day, like that would sort of be the the deciding factor on whether we would live stream. And yes. uh, so we did, we had actually just started a conversation, I think in maybe January in our congregation, just with a couple of the people in leadership about maybe we need to try to do this every week and, and let's figure out how to do this better. Maybe we should move in, move to YouTube rather than Facebook and, um, and we just started, we'd had one meeting about it and then suddenly it was, okay, how do we implement all of this in one or two weeks? Yeah. And so every week we've been trying to make improvements to our, our live stream and really trying to figure out, um, how are we engaging with people? Um, and the only people we have are the people, uh, who are not in the building. Right. So, um, yeah. so I think for us, it'll have a big impact because we were already thinking about how do we do this anyway? Um, but it'll have a big impact when we are able to gather again, that mm -hmm. we'll now realize, well, we have a bunch of people who are not gathering in our space, um, who we're connected to and we're serving. And so we now, this isn't just a, how do we, how do we do this for a few weeks, um, or even a few months, but it's, it's going to be how, like, 
what does this mean in terms of ministry? So that's a big thing for me. Like I didn't anticipate that when I met you thinking I was just like, oh, this is interesting. We'll have a conversation. And now this is a live like I need I want to learn from you about like what what does this actually mean for us in the church and also for our spirituality? Because that's what this podcast is about is kind of spiritual practices, um, what that yeah. might look like. Uh, but I also would love to hear a little bit about this new project of yours that you're mentioning about uh, the United Church. Is this like a denominational kind of focus, like more like a resource? For it anyone? is. Yeah. So it started regionally. So the funding for the church plant is coming through, um, is coming through a project of the Pacific Mountain region. So the provinces of BC and Alberta. Uh, but the hope is really that this can grow to the extent that people want it to grow to. And of course there were maybe, uh, I'm going to say four or five churches in British Columbia that were up and running with online ministries in the United Church before this started, that were doing it well, that were focusing on it. And now, of course, you know, we have almost every single church in yeah. the region doing this work. And so when we had originally received funding for this project, the idea was that we could really create uh, more communities online for people to find and sort of have this learning cohort together as we work through all of this. And we just kind of jumped forward three years into, into our five-year plan. Uh, so when all of this, when all of this happened, we realized that actually people were very prepared to take this step. They just needed the permission to do it. You know, we have so many beautiful hoops that we have to jump through in our communities in order to make things like this happen. Right. And I've noticed such a shift in the resiliency and, and in the ability for communities to adapt really quickly to the changing landscape. I mean, I think that the, the advice that I've given communities from the beginning is do it before you're ready. But of course, the advice I give to myself is no, no, you can't do it until it's perfect. And so now we've kind of had to all jump. We're all in this together. We're taking the next step. Like you said, one thing a week, just implementing something new is really the only way to do it and, and not trying to do it all. You mentioned that when we first started this process, the pandemic was declared. We had a couple weeks there where this really was for a lot of communities a means to an end. Mm. And so, you know, the goal was how do we make it out of the grave on Easter, right? We just right. need to make it till Easter. Maybe things will be different <laughs> by then. And it didn't take very long for us to realize that actually this is what it's going to look like for a while. And there is so much value to these kinds of communities. And that doesn't mean that when this ends and we are able to come back and gather together in person, that everyone online will decide to stay online. But right. certainly I think there are some congregation members who are in the process of maybe having changes in their physical abilities to gather, changes in life circumstances, where this is actually going to make that grieving period a lot lighter for them because mm -hmm. they've experienced it with the collective community. And so I think that there is going to be a shift when we are able to come together again in just how much effort is put into our online ministries, because there's no denying that this is really something that while it may not have been everyone's first choice, uh, it's a very faithful way to be together in an uncertain time. Yeah, for sure. It is it is it some people's first choice as well? Yes, it's a lot of people's first <laughs> choice. 
And I was very surprised uh, as someone who participates in online worship and the internet in general as a pastime. And, and I like to spy on other worshiping communities. It was really news to me that there were some people who actually, this was their number one choice and it wasn't going to change. And so you have people in remote areas that either don't have a church of their preferred denomination or a church at all, who this is the only way they can gain access to a worship service. There are people who are incarcerated. You have people who are differently abled and unable to come into the building in person. Um, One of the biggest ones we see is people with social anxiety. Uh, That's one of the reasons that people don't want to gather in these big groups and and religious trauma, right? We have people Mm -hmm. who have extremely painful experiences in their church upbringing and to be able to be reintroduced to the church, to the faith in a way that is only two dimensional, where their body's not actually in danger, uh, is, is a really, really beautiful stepping stone. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask, like, this is more the area I want to explore with you because, um, there's lots of stuff out there about technique. And I think if people want to get in touch with you or, uh, or see some of the things that you're doing, we can we can provide them with links to that stuff to find out yeah. about technique. I don't want to talk about like, how do we set up worship services online and all that kind of stuff. I'm more yeah. interested in like, what have you learned um, about how people engage? Like you've kind of explored that a little bit already, but um, your role as an online minister, like what have you learned in like the last year? Like even pre- the situation we're all in right now, even before that, like, what did you learn about how people are engaging with God um, Mm -hmm. in, in different ways that maybe, maybe lots of us don't think about lots of us who get together week after week in a physical location. Um, What have you seen? What have you learned about how people, how people connect with God and with each other, I suppose, too? Yeah, I think this is a really, this is a really beautiful question. And unfortunately, when we made this jump into sort of COVID territory, this was the least of people's concerns was how people were actually going to experience the divine in this different platform. The concern was, how do we get onto the platform? So I really, I really appreciate this question, because I think if this is something that we want to be sustainable, if this is a real ministry, then this is where the focus has to be. Um, I've mentioned that there are lots of different reasons that people come online. They're as numerous as the number of people that join us for online worship. But to overly generalize, there are sort of two camps of people who do attend worship online primarily that way. That's their preference for worship. And those are people who are either seekers, so they're exploring faith, they're spiritual but not religious, they're sort of dipping their toes into the waters of what a faith life or Christianity might look like for them. Mm -hmm. And then there's a group of people who are already Christian or who are returning to the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And these groups of people really experience and engage with God in very different ways in the online platform. I find that people who are seekers or who are visiting the faith and using online worship as a way to sort of experiment with what that might look like for them, there's a really uncomplicated nature to how they are engaging with this mystery 
of God. So those are the people that if you were to ask a simple question, like, where did you see God this week in, in the chat box, for example, those are the people that are going to respond right away and say, mm. I had an encounter with the divine at the grocery store when this little boy looked up at me and smiled and said, hi, how are you? Even though I was wearing a mask and looked really scary. Those are the people wow. that are willing to jump into that space and say, this is where I saw God. And, and it just, it's so natural to them. And then there's a group of people who have a very different approach to God when you ask them a question like that. And it's almost like um, we, we think about the, the saints and the mystics and our desert fathers and mothers who had a conversation about what it was like to progress into the unit, like into being in union with God. So mm. the whole faith journey is just a progression towards being one with the divine. And I feel like for people who are returning to the faith or for people who have come to this space looking for a way in, having obviously not found it in another place, that this progression is really the way that they encounter God. And so the online space then becomes a stepping stone. It becomes this constant invitation into, okay, this was an experience you had this week. Now, how do we relate that to your faith journey? And the online space becomes a really safe container for them to explore what it might look like to feel like something, maybe, yeah, that sits correctly, or maybe that doesn't feel so good for them in their bodies as they say it out loud. So there's an exploratory element, and then there's this real ownership and stepping into what it might mean to live a life of faith. And I think the online space is really unique in that it holds both of those people in the exact same room. Hmm. Yeah. And then like how, like, I know I didn't want to talk about technique, but where is that actually happening? <laughs> like, is that, yeah. is that happening like on a chat stream on a YouTube video or is that, or are there other spaces that are, that, it, that you create? So both and I think okay. that the chat space, it, it really depends on what platform your church has decided to use. But my response to people who are trying to feel out what that platform might be is to go where your people already are. Mm. If you are with a group of people who is madly interested in Facebook, then do Facebook Live because you know they're going to be in the comment section. If you have a lot of young adults or you want to be able to share that service really widely, YouTube is a great option and there's that chat box right there. And then if you're using something, a lot of people, especially in smaller communities right now are using Zoom, you have that face-to-face -face interaction but you also have the chat box. So on a Sunday morning during a worship service, that is where some of those conversations can start to happen. But the entire point of this is that we're in continued relationship. And so they can't stay there. The real question is, how do we get those people out of that chat box and into their own conversations or into deeper conversations with us or into smaller group conversations? And this is where the idea of invitation and consistent invitation is really, really important because as you'll know, if you're, if you're worshiping on YouTube, for example, we don't own any of their information. Someone can show up and we have no idea who they are. So if we're not taking it upon ourselves to extend that invitation into deeper relationship, they're going to assume that Sunday mornings are all there is. And Sunday mornings are really the wider invitation to the rest of 
our Christian life together. So I think that all of those places are the starting point. So the chat box, the comment section, the emails even, and then where is the wider invitation to join us in something else? Okay. And so like, what are some of the, it sounds like there's lots of good things here that we're, that we're talking about. What are some of the pitfalls of, of say, particularly around worship? Like what are some of the pitfalls of online corporate worship? Yeah. I, so I like to mention the positive stuff first. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I think there I are. Think that- The pitfalls are really uh, plentiful and we've all experienced them, whether we've named them or not in the past few weeks. Uh, And that's the idea that this is a very disembodied medium and we are people who belong to a really embodied faith. Like Christ took on flesh to have this human experience, to be in human relationship. And so we cannot say that that's actually not an important part of who we are. So this question of how do we, be sacramental in a place where we can't primarily practice the sacraments. And I know that there are lots of amazing practices with virtual communion happening, but I don't know. Well, and me, absolutely. Me as well. Yeah, we're doing Uh, that on Sunday. So, yeah. I think that it's wonderful to be able to educate people that the sacred is all around us and that the sacred is something that we can tap into whenever we recognize that that is something we want to be in the presence of. And so for us to share something like communion, for us to extend the blessing over the elements and say, if you hold out your hands over the bread and juice that you have at home, you can celebrate this with us. Mm. Um, I think that that's a really remarkable act of hospitality. And I think that that's quite radical. Um, There are some things that we haven't quite figured out yet, like baptism. You know, I'm in a denomination where the two sacraments are baptism and communion. And right now we're at 50 percent, which isn't really enough to convince people. (laughs) So I think that that's a really a really important question. Um, This embodiment, this embodied nature of our faith is something that we need to be able to encourage outside of the box of our screen. So worship is where it starts, but it isn't where it ends. Yeah, I think the other I think that the other element of that is also this piece of accountability. So when we receive a new member in our congregation, we've actually received people as members through the online platform. We haven't met them in person and we'll covenant with them live in a service from a distance. Uh, So not baptism, but accepting them as a member of our congregation. And the question that's raised from that is, how as people who covenanted to be in relationship and to walk this journey with someone, how do we do that if we aren't actually aware of what their circumstances are? So as I sit with you in your space right now, I can see two feet on either side of you, but I have no idea what's going on, you know, beyond your computer screen on the other side of that. You might have children running around back and forth. You might have people throwing something at you. You might have people trying to get your attention. There's no way for me to know how invested you are in this conversation when I can't experience what's happening around you. Yet, interestingly, a lot of our church experience is it's still very much privatized and voluntary what we show people, right? So um, I've actually heard people talking this week that, that actually we're seeing 
more of people's lives now because we're actually seeing into people's homes. Like I happen to have one daughter who's a great independent learner. So she's reading right now. And Mm -hmm. she like, she will not come to find me. Um, But I know lots of parents where that's not the case. They've got like five kids and it's it's crazy. And they're still on Zoom meetings and people are seeing their real life. Um, Whereas the the presentation we give to people in church, even when we're attending in a building, Mm -hmm. you have a lot of control and a lot of choice over what you're showing people. And you're showing people like, this is my Sunday best for 55 minutes. And I never stay for coffee time, but yeah, I want to be a member. So can I, can I join? Uh, It's kind of interesting to think about, like, I wonder if like some of the things that we might think are actually pitfalls of online ministry might actually give us windows into like, oh, well, maybe this is actually just a pitfall of the way we have constructed a lot of our ministries, as opposed to specifically online. Because I found like, as we've started talking about like, how do we get people engaged in worship. When we started live streaming, it was just the people in leadership live streaming. It was like, basically like you can come and we can watch this. We did our music. So it was like, you can sing along. We had the lyrics on there. And now we're shifting towards like someone does a video of the scripture reading. Somebody um, we're, we're asking people to take some photos of spring and, and send those in. And, um, and we're asking people to, uh, you know, someone did a duet and sent that in by video and trying to put those things into the service and then trying to engage people in the chat has been another thing that we've started to do. But those have all been like intentional decisions about this is a community. And so how do we do this? Yeah. And, and I yet, think you're absolutely yet right. In the church, we often just have like default things that we think we do. And we're like, oh, that didn't really work because nobody's filled out the sign up sheet at the back. So forget it. But we have, actually haven't tried or been intentional um but now it's kind of opening up these opportunities to kind of really reflect on well what is our ministry about like have we actually been building community i think that the word that you keep using is intentional and i think that that's so important when it comes to this work you're right that there is an element of intimacy that we're getting to experience right now that we maybe don't on a sunday morning um the difference in that is between really it i think it's a co- it's a pre-covid and a post-covid shift sure. which is before this happened I mean, worshiping on Zoom was not how people were doing it. So you were not seeing people face to face if they were worshiping online. You were seeing their screen name, which often for privacy reasons was not their real name. And so I think that that's actually a beautiful shift uh, in recognizing what it takes to sustain community. Whereas before it was still very much an us and them and the people online were maybe an afterthought for some communities. Mm-hmm. Now, no, no. What, what does it take to be in community? And part of that is we want to see people's faces, but what we don't experience, you know, I don't know when, when you show up on screen, if you, if you smell like alcohol, Right. So that's something that I could tell if you walked into the building, maybe you're struggling. Maybe I know a part of your story. I don't know when you show up on screen, you know, how utterly exhausted you are because of the way that you're carrying your body um, or the child clinging to your leg. And so I think that there are pieces of this that 
we have adjusted in a very, very short period of time because we've had the experience of the community crying out and saying, this is what we want. Whereas before there was such a small sample population of people who were participating solely in this ministry that we didn't actually have that information. And the, the other piece is that I think you're, you're absolutely right in that this is an invitation to do something different with our ministries in person. Maybe this does mean that the invitation is small group ministry. Maybe we do want to do family meals where, you know, one family hosts and we have, we have a time of prayer together and a time of study together. Maybe there is a more, uh, a more, a more emphasis on the relationships that we have within our community outside of the walls of our building, instead of constantly trying to bring people in. Because as we've experienced, I feel like I know you more because I can see the books that are on your shelf. Sure. Right. And so I think that you're absolutely correct. It will not be the same when we return because some of the things we've experienced in this time, even though they feel maybe a little bit like placeholders for us right now, we're actually really going to miss when we gather together in a large community and don't have the opportunity to to have that experience with one another. So I think that that you're you're right in that it it seems like a pitfall when you look at the, the whole picture. But when you really dive into what it is that our churches are trying to do, which is live this life together, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe we need to do that a little bit differently. Yeah. And I think as well, like, I don't know, for me, it's just revealed a little bit about our the way that we do ministry in general, like, so I've seen a lot of church services, like there's a mad scramble to get their service online. But then but then that's it. And, mm-hmm. and actually, that's really just revealing that, that their church was really just about people coming to the building and, exactly. and watching the worship service. And yes, they would sing the hymns. But mm-hmm. that and, and there was a sense a feeling, but there wasn't really any intentionality around community building in the church. So but those churches where they felt a loss of that, oh, we really need to do more than just put our services online because we've lost this other this other thing that we do. Um, but I think there's lots of churches out there where, oh, that engagement already wasn't there. That's not about online ministry. That's just that's just about ministry. <laughs> so, yeah, it absolutely that's, is. That's troubling, actually. <laughs> And so I think one of the shifts when I started looking at online ministry a few years ago that really changed things for me as to how I approached it was the idea of the internet or this virtual landscape as a physical place. Mm -hmm. So we know this language of the third place. It's the place that people gather outside of work and home. Um, And the internet for a lot of people, whether we like the sounds of it or not, is actually that third place. So we did a lot of learning from gaming communities. Mm -hmm. These are groups of people who spend so much of their time immersed in stories and who come out of it with very real relationships, with relationships that do translate to the real world. Some of them come out of it with marriages, you know, and this is, this is a community that has decided that the place that they come to gather is in this little box. And when I started making the shift between thinking of the internet as a tool and thinking about it as a place, what I realized is that when we are sent out as disciples, when we hear the Great Commission 
to go into all of the nations, this virtual landscape becomes one of those places. And that's actually something that we know what to do with. We know how to be missionaries through trial and error. And this idea of faith formation, we know how to do that. And it starts with going into a place, understanding a place, making relationships with the people, feeling what they need, listening to what they need, and responding to that through the stories that we hold so dear. And when we look at the internet as that place, as this new sort of mission field, all of a sudden we realize exactly what we have to do. And it's not building an audience. It's not just getting them to come to you. It's building the relationships themselves. And that starts with having those everyday conversations. That starts with teaching people how to use the tool if they don't know how to use it. That starts with engaging in conversations around what it is that people are actually needing in this time of grief and illness and confusion and anxiety. And once we have all of those pieces, then we know what it is that we're actually being called to build and plant. And maybe that is a Sunday morning service, but maybe that's just a Bible study. Maybe that's a mom's group. Maybe that's, you know, a a small group ministry where, where people are gathering to figure out what the needs of their wider community are, but not every church needs to do all of those things. And certainly not every church should do all of those things and then just leave them there for the internet to take over. All of this is really about showing up and staying there and intentionally, like you said, intentionally creating that sustainable ministry. Because if we aren't consistent in it, people will leave and find another more consistent community. This is really, really helpful, like thinking about this as place rather than a set of tools to, mm-hmm. to accomplish something like it's quite different than like the phone, like if we're thinking yeah. of like another piece of technology um, or, you know, the mail system, <laughs> things like that. Mm-hmm. Those are other tools that we could use yeah. to connect with people okay. and they're good tools. Right. Um, but it's quite different than that to think of, of, of space or place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's really helpful because one of the questions that occurred to me that I think this is, this will help answer is, well, but isn't this like, potentially just at its core just really unhealthy like is that like like is it just unhealthy to be on screens and and you know if we're learning lots from say gaming communities is that actually like what are we actually learning about that space and is that a is that a healthy space but I think where this would help me kind of answer that question if I can also ask the question and answer it on my own podcast yes you can (laughs) um is that yeah, there are places that are health, like can be health, very healthy places. And there are places that can be very unhealthy places. And yes, that exists on the internet. And that also exists in the quote unquote, real world. And we're called to go into all of them. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that I find super helpful. Because if we're going to talk, there's a book about like redeeming place or redeeming spaces. I can't remember what it's what it's called anyway but it but we are called to go in and like try to redeem as much as we possibly can right um or to bring christ uh not bring but to acknowledge that christ is already there christ is there in the midst of what might not be a good place or how do we create spaces online that are actually more healthy so um that's super helpful that's i'm excited about that thank you i think one of the you're you're welcome and like i said it made it gave such a big shift to my thinking about it when i first sort of 
put my finger on that. And one of the theologians that I found really helpful in this particular conversation was Paul Tillich because of the idea that the spirit is active in really secular places. Right. And so this idea that the new being that Christ is present, like you said, in all of these places, whether or not we're recognizing that, but where two or three are gathered is, was really uh, instrumental to figuring out, okay, how do we now look at this space as being the margins and, and gather people in. And it's not about an opportunistic evangelism. I, uh, that's something that makes me really uncomfortable because it ties, you know, I'm, I'm all for a great worship service with fog lights, but I think that there is a difference between what we're trying to do here and, and televangelism, for example, right. you've already put your finger on the fact that we're not watching worship, we're worshiping. And mm -hmm. so in order to do that, we need to know who's worshiping with us and we need to go and meet them there. This isn't a come to us, come into our building, come and do what we're doing. This is, Oh, we see you there. We're going to walk and meet you and maybe, maybe we can have this experience together. Yeah. At the same time, I've really noticed that, um, it's, it's weird because we've also had to pay attention to the quality for lack of a better word of what we are doing in, yes. in a way that is different than when we are only doing a gathering with like our 50 people in, in a space, um, or even the pacing of worship, uh, for what is essentially like a, a, is a production in the end that's going on to, onto a stream somewhere onto a YouTube channel. Um, it's, you, it's hard to have like a, a, a break where suddenly it's like, Oh, we're waiting for this person to move off the stage and this person to come up on this. Like that doesn't work on a screen. <laughs> so no, like, so it it, it's, it's bizarre because we like, that's our theology and that's what our belief is. But I've actually felt more like, Oh, I feel like I am performing. Mm -hmm even though I know what I'm doing is I'm actually, I am in a way performing in order to facilitate people yeah. being able to enter into worship in a, in a more full way that it's actually okay. not helpful. Um, but I think we could probably do that with anything again. Like, you know, my preaching hopefully has gotten better in 15 years of, or more than 15 years of being a minister. Yeah. So I've learned techniques that have made preaching better. Um, and that's fine you know, and it's probably more helpful to help people worship. Well, and there is, there certainly is a very obvious performative nature to what we are doing right now. Yeah. Not every color looks good on yeah. a screen. You know, don't oh. show up wearing green. Uh, <laughs> um, there, you know, sound quality, people will put up with terrible visuals, but if the sound is bad, they won't be there. If there's a giant leg between a song and the next video that you're playing, people are going to tune out because they think that something's gone wrong. If you play a boring song, heaven forbid, <laughs> they're going to go and Yikes. do the dishes because you can't mm -hmm. see them. Right. And so there is this element of protecting the sacred space that we're creating by, by bringing that energy ourselves. I think it was Frank A. Thomas in a preaching class I was in uh, once said that you had to bring your own fire. He was asked a question about how people preaching to congregations who were very unresponsive could have such exuberant 
mannerisms in their preaching. And he said, if you are not ghosted up in the study by your own work, you will not be ghosted up in the pulpit. And I thought that that was so beautiful to translate into this online space, because as leaders in this position, you're right, it does feel performative. And if we are showing up, not really feeling like that is the spirit in us, that this is energy and that this is a faithful offering to this community, then it is just going to feel like dead air. And that's really, really uncomfortable because, again, that's not what we're trying to create. What we're trying to create is a really authentic worship experience. So I think that the performative aspect of this is something we need to take into serious consideration and maybe go a little easy on ourselves because of, because what we are creating is not just what's around us, but we're trying to create a container for everyone who's joining us online as well. I think too, like leaning into the gifts that are, that you have and what, and, and what surround you. Um, so like I've seen some amazing, uh, things done in online worship, uh, which are really, really very different than what our, our congregation would do. Um, and that's been from like very creative, like different videos. Um, there's three ministers in a church in Calgary that are doing a really interesting online worship. And they basically cut a video together throughout the week and then put that together rather than live. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of different perspectives on the same scripture in a, in a sense. Um, and it's very reflective and it's beautiful. Um, and then I've seen like other ministers where their gift is like, they're, they're good at like intellectually engaging with the text. And mm-hmm. so all they're doing is posting their sermons, yeah. um, but they're leaning into their gift and, and that's good. And maybe their community just, they don't have the capabilities or they don't have the gifts for the music, or they might say, wow, here's a beautiful piece of music. They'll let their people know, like, go and listen to this. This is really beautiful and inspirational because I listen to it. And, and here's what I can offer. But it's not the it's not the it's not the band and the smoke machines or whatever it is, you know, like that's not what, what we're about. So I think as well, like leaning into gifts, I think I you saying like people go easy on themselves as well. Like uh, it can like I think performance anxiety can can get up there. Uh, so vulnerable. Yeah. And so I think and I think that's a really difficult trap to get into. And I and I don't know that the way out of that trap, like I know I've done this before in before being online where the way out of that is to, is to almost theologize my way out to say, Oh, well, it's not about me. It's about the people we're worshiping together. And I think right now I don't, for me, that doesn't work right now because I can't actually see those people. Mm-hmm. And so I look around on a Sunday and it's like, well, it kind of just is me on the stage right now. <laughs> like there's really just me. Um, and I know they're out there, but it just doesn't work for me. So I think like just completely resting in the grace of God is what works for me right now is just like, okay, it actually isn't about, it isn't even about the people and what we're offering. It's actually about that God is up to something and, and we need to just rest in what God is doing. So I found that way more helpful than even thinking about the people's worship. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right. I mean, the, when you talk about gifts, all of this beautiful, creativity that we're seeing come forth right now, that is the spirit at work. And the way that we tell a story 
in a different community, in a different environment, in a different land is of course going to have to be told differently, right? You can't translate a sanctuary worship service to a forest worship service. It just doesn't work that way. And so why would we expect that the same service that is engaging for people in a sanctuary is going to engage them when they're sitting in their living room? And so we can be honest with ourselves about what those gifts are. And, you know, for some of us, we haven't had the opportunity to share those gifts in our ministries to this point because of we just get caught up in in the way that things run and the order of the service and and Sundays just being Sundays and now let's get to the next one and all of a sudden we have an opportunity not only is it really really important that we are filling ourselves up and of course using those God-given gifts is one of the ways to experience that sense of being filled up and being of service in the way that we were created to be of service. So bringing forth that creativity, I think, is a really, really wonderful way to to share with the wider community, to share with the congregation that they're actually being called into sharing their gifts in a different way right now, too, because Mm -hmm. we have so many people who are longing to be of service right now that can't figure out how to do that. They don't know how to be of service safely. They don't know what's being asked of them. They don't know what the community needs. And they really just need someone to say, maybe your art is enough. Maybe the reading of a story to your child at bedtime is enough right now. Maybe that prayer that you're offering on Sunday morning is enough. Like you are enough in whatever capacity you are able to show up as yourself right now. Sure. Yeah. I love that. That's really good. Um, do you, do you uh, recommend people to disconnect from technology and how do you do that? Do it, do it. (laughs) (laughs) What, what what is it that they say? The best spiritual practice is the one you actually practice. So I think that there are, there are so many different tips and tricks for disconnecting ourselves from technology and you're going to find something that works for you and they're not all going to work. I know that, mm-hmm. you know, our ancient, our spiritual ancestors developed spiritual tools in order to help sort of avoid this kind of attachment to earthly things that we're experiencing right now. Um, but there is no doubt in my mind that the way in which we use our technology is really robbing us of encounters mm-hmm. with God. We spend so much time looking down that we completely forget that we were created to look out and to look up. And I think that without putting our phones down, without shutting our computer screen, we can live our entire lives in that circle because we can fake connect like this, right? Like everything that we need is at our fingertips on these screens. And so we can get away with not tuning them, tuning them out and turning them off. Um, And that's really, I think that that's really dangerous. Um, There are lots of terms that people use like digital Sabbath or like a digital fast that are really reminiscent of some of these spiritual practices. And I don't think that that spiritual language is surprising at all. I think that there is such an idolatrous way that we treat our phones. And I'm the first to make that confession myself. Uh, You know, worshiping our devices is something that culture almost calls us to do, especially in a time like this right now where everything is happening online. And we actually have an excuse right now Hmm. to be online constantly. So it is something that takes intentionality um, to, to turn that phone off, to put that computer away. Uh, I think in a dream world, people do have 
hours of the day when they leave their phone. You know, seven o'clock at night, it goes off. Seven a.m., it turns back on. I think that in an ideal world, we do take 24 hours a week where we have a digital Sabbath, where we put that phone away. But I don't know. I don't know how realistic that is for a lot of people, especially in this time right now. And in this time, we need that rest, I think, more than ever, because we don't want to forget what it is like to be able to run up to our friend and throw our arms around them and be with them in person and just sit in an awkward silence in a coffee shop on a first date, right? We don't want to forget what those experiences are like with one another because those are what's real. And so I think my suggestion in a time like this is really when you're with God, be with God. When you're with yourself, be with yourself. And when you're with others, be with others. And however you can see your phone or Netflix, or, you know, the, the Amazon order fitting into those things, that's going to be the healthiest relationship. It's when we tie everything in together and refuse to create any of those boundaries that it really starts to feel messy in our bodies. And we start to, to feel like we can't let it go. And we start to panic if we, if we put it down or leave it somewhere. So really, um, the mindfulness of, compartmentalizing, I think in a time like this is the best place to start. But I highly recommend um, a couple of books there. The Distracted Mind is one um, that MIT put out uh, a couple of years ago. And Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism are really easy and interesting reads as far as what might be helpful for our brains. And as far as our souls go, I just think that to really be with people when you're with people and be with God when you're with God and the rest should sort itself out. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that is, that's, that's true. That is really good. I think as well, I, I know I forget to um, like the be with God when I'm with God. Uh, it's funny. Like I, this is probably why I started a podcast about it. Let me use technology to remind me that I'm supposed to have spiritual practices. Um, but I actually, I, I think that's a particular struggle for me. Uh, I'm someone who, uh, like I'm Enneagram three mm -hmm. achiever. Like I want to accomplish things. Yeah. Um, and so I like, it, I often don't see like, Oh, I can see spending time with my family as like, Oh, and I've like accomplished something. Cause I've been present with my daughter and I can see that I have been like, but I find it really hard because a presence with God is like this, in, like non-tangible thing mm -hmm. that doesn't seem to accomplish anything quickly right like it's it does yeah. accomplish something There's but no right so but i just have real trouble with that that it's like okay i'm gonna sit and be still with god for 10 minutes mm -hmm. and then what's that really gonna do the irony is it usually when i do it it actually really does help with the day like <laughs> so no. I know it's a, it's a shame that all of these spiritual practices actually work if we commit to them. <laughs> exactly. It's funny. Um, I, yeah, I, I feel the same though. Um, it is a big challenge and I, I'm a very noisy person and I recognize the noise in the world. And I really, when it comes to, when it comes to spending time with God, I don't want to hear my own voice. I don't want to hear the voices from right. the media or from the outside world. I want to hear God's voice. And so the only way for me to do that, and, and I'm someone who, um, I, I'm an introvert in the sense that I gain energy from being alone, yeah, but I do yeah. not like silence. Hmm. And the most powerful spiritual practice for me has been 
silence. It's, yeah. it's meditation that I do terribly and I'm constantly in conversation, but I realized quite quickly that a, a spiritual practice that required me to talk to God was actually me talking at God. And there was no room for any sort of reciprocal relationship in that. And so releasing the importance of me bringing something to God and just trusting that God already knows what it is that I'm bringing to the table enables me to sort of sit in stillness in a different way and, and know that that actually is enough and that that contemplative nature is a spiritual practice. And, you know, I, I sometimes come to it kicking and screaming. Um, but it seems to be, it seems to be the most powerful. So how, how do you do that? Do you, is there a particular thing that you do or is there, or how are you reminded to, to do that? Yeah, it's, um, I, I'm a morning person and I really like to start my day in the word. I think that if I fill myself with words that are not mine, then it leaves less room for me to try and conjure up my own. So I, I love daily scripture devotionals. Um, sometimes I'll just work my way through a book in the Bible, but I'll always read a couple of passages in the morning and then I just go and sit. And sometimes if I'm really having an off day, I'll turn on a guided meditation. Um, and sometimes I'll just, I'll just light a candle and sit with it. Um, I used to have the practice of journaling afterwards because that's where my ego comes back into it. And I want to know what God said. Um, and I've sort of, I've sort of let go of that because I felt that I was once again, imposing my own my own thoughts onto what had transpired. So usually um, I'll start by reading some scripture and then I just sit and I set a timer because I need to know that there's an end. It's not very contemplative of me, but I need to know that, you know, this is my 10 minutes or if I only have five minutes that day that, that I've still done that. And mm-hmm. usually what I find is that that sets, um, that sets me on a path of, of noticing for the whole day, I tend to be more grateful. Um, I tend to keep my eyes open in a way that I, I maybe wouldn't otherwise. Um, and, and it really does pull me out of my own head and away from all of the voices that are constantly coming at us when we have, when we have our devices. Sure. Yeah. That's really good. Can I, do you have time for one more, one more question here? Yeah. Um, I would love to hear, uh, if you have received any pushback, from people, uh, in your role, um, mm-hmm. specifically, like maybe not in like the last six weeks, because yeah. I, I would imagine the last six, I mean, you might've had some in the last six weeks, but I would imagine with, uh, with, uh, coronavirus that people are suddenly, Oh, online ministers, we need them. Um, but I think prior to that, or when things first were getting started, um, I'm just wondering about like, was there hesitancy and was there, or was there kind of like, mm, what is this suspicion, anything like that that you've experienced? Yeah. So two, uh, two particular pieces of feedback come to mind. Um, the first is this concept that it's not real church if it's online. Mm-hmm. So one of our online congregants, um, will, it has reached the point where she's comfortable showing up to some small group events. She volunteers. She'll do, she'll do some things in the community like that. And the question she receives is why don't you come to church? And that really, really bothers her because she is faithfully at church every Sunday. She volunteers in that chat box. Mm-hmm. And so for someone to say, Hey, we see you here, but we don't see you there is really, um, that's the wall that we're trying to break down. So how do we connect 
those people. Uh, and it's just, I think it's really about education. They're not, um, this isn't a passive experience that we're trying to create for people online. This is something that is really meaningful to them the same way that this community here is really meaningful to you. And so that piece just comes down to education. Um, the, the bigger piece of pushback also is tied into education. I think there's a lot of unknowns in this realm and, uh, the feedback was that the fear was going to be that something was being taken away because this new thing was being added. Right. Yeah. So all of a sudden I was introduced as the online minister and I received a scathing email that said, I don't want an online minister. I want a real life minister. And what's right. going to happen to the real life minister if all of a sudden you're here? I don't want to communicate with you this way. And right. I had to respond saying I'm not taking the place of anything. I'm I'm expanding our circle. So I think those those bits are really just a misunderstanding of what it is we're trying to offer. This isn't in the place of this isn't the church trying to become something the church never was or never wanted to be. This is the church stepping into a wider calling. That is, there are people out there who this is the only way they will ever experience us. And so who are we to, to not share this story with them? Um, since COVID the, the pushback is very different and it's simply money and sustainability. They're two very unmysterious elements of what we do. Um, technology needs replacing we need people who know how to use this technology and ideally know how to use it well. We need to train them. Uh, what does this look like in five years when we need to replace the, you know, however many thousands of dollars worth of equipment we purchased this year? Um, so those are really, those are important questions for churches, but I don't think they're the questions that need to be asked in the face of starting a new journey together. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Um, I want to talk to you about that last thing, but but that's not what this podcast is about. So <laughs> <laughs> you know how to find. We'll maybe have another conversation about that because uh, I think those are important questions too. So sort of those practical nuts and bolts of how how do we actually do this and what does it all mean? Um, Absolutely, and that's a big piece of my work with this new church plant project. And so those conversations are are really important. And we can't we can't do what we do without the practicality. Mm -hmm. um, but I think first, let's figure out why we're doing it. Yeah, if somebody is looking to connect with you. I usually say if someone's looking to connect with you online, but how else would they do that uh, really now? Um, so if someone's looking to connect with you online, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I'm happy for people to have my email. So you're welcome to put that below if you like. Um, but I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm at by Andrea Irwin. Okay. And it's Andrea is spelt slightly differently than what I normally would yeah, spell. Spelt with an I. So A-N-D-R-I-A. I-R-W-I-N. Uh, so yeah. And if people are looking for your, your ministry and your church, is there a website they can go to? Yes, they can go to highlandsonline.org. Okay, great. Thank you so much for this. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast.